One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Fan, we a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Groundhog Day of the podcast. It's the same thing every day. And I'm joined by the Groundhog Day of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. It's the same thing every day. And finally, the Groundhog Day of the podcast. It's the same thing every day. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm alright, thanks. I was just thinking that maybe instead of talking about the West Ham match last night, given that you've never seen Groundhog Day, John, we've got two options. We could either do a live watch-along of Groundhog Day, or Tom and I could act it out as a two-hander for you, and I I thought that that might be the better option. So one of us would be Bill Murray, and the other one of us would just take on whatever other role needs playing at that time. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, it sounds about right to me. Yeah, you two guys have got drama credentials, haven't you? So I don't even think it would be that bad. No, it'd be pretty good, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And we know that you're very critical of people who aren't very good at drama, Tom Woodhead, but how are you doing? <laughs> this, this was, well, this, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm good at drama myself. I, I did quit halfway through my drama course at school, so I couldn't claim to be an expert. But, um, you know, I'm as crap as everyone else. I'm sick of losing games in exactly the same way every week. But apart from that, I'm good. Well, I'll go to you first then with how did that feel, just to really rub it in. So how did that feel yesterday? <laughs> it felt good for the first uh, 10 minutes or so, and then West Ham scored, and it f- all started to feel quite familiar. Although I-, I thought we were sort of doing okay up until the second goal, to be honest. But after that, it started to take on a familiar feeling of West Ham not really needing to take any risks, which just meant that they could defend a lot more effectively than they would have otherwise been able to. Darren, we've already talked there about how Leeds looked okay for the first 10 minutes and then and then West Ham scored. I mean, what what's your reading of that? Why do you think that Leeds looked okay for the first 10 minutes and then didn't? Uh, it's interesting because I, I think that, that fundamentally the things that West Ham were trying to do throughout the game were the same things that they were trying to do at the start of the game. But I think for, for whatever reason, I just don't think West Ham were quite finding their shape. I don't think they were quite getting into, into their their four four one one formation in the first half as quickly as, as they came to do. I think they gave us quite a lot of space out wide, particularly in that very early part of the game. And I think that that allowed Rafinha and Costa to have an influence on the game, which kind of gradually declined as as, as it went on. Um 
and and it's that thing where like because obviously we we'd had a almost exactly the same game against against West Ham in December, but I I actually thought we looked better in the first ten minutes yesterday than we did at any stage during the first game. So I was kind of you know kind of hopeful that that we might be able to put something together throughout the rest of the game, and and as Tom said, that hope lasted precisely I don't know what it was sixteen minutes or whatever until they got the penalty. But even even before they um. Even before they got the penalty, I felt that West Ham had kind of managed to kill our early, our early kind of momentum and, and started to put the blocks in place, and and that we, although we were still dominating the ball, we weren't kind of getting into dangerous areas as, as often, even between minutes seven and sixteen, as we were in that first bit. So you could sort of see the pattern of the game starting to emerge emerge from there, um, and then it just became that that very frustrating experience where we where we where we're two 0 down and look quite good. You know, it's like I, like I've said repeatedly, it's it's easy to look good when you're a couple of goals behind because the other team are just going to let you have the ball and are going to let you kind of do do uh, quite a bit with it. And and although we managed to create a few chances, I would hope for us to be able to create more chances um, and more good chances if 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 we were in you know a situation where we had you know improved playing personnel or or whatever it might be that we might need next season. Well, let's move on to the questions then. Um, again, thanks for all your questions. Uh, as always, we had too many to fit all of them in, so do bear with us. But thank you for sending them in. And we do read all of them, so thank you for that. Reginald Globvox said, literally nothing to discuss there. Just play one of your multiple older pods that discuss the exact same scenario. This match will keep occurring until we approve the quality of our players. So in summary, have a well-earned break. You're welcome. Cheers, Reg. Yeah, thanks, Reg. <laughs> See you later, lads. That's That's been fun. <laughs> so on to Groundhog Day then, I suppose. <laughs> Nathaniel said, if we take the Bielsa high road, we didn't lose because of VAR. We lost because we were inefficient in front of goal and didn't move the ball quickly enough to break them down. My question is, should, be, should, be, should we be worried about the form of some of our staple players, e.g. Ayling, Harrison, Bamford, etc.? Tom Woodhead... Is is this is this the long and short of it? Well, first of all, just the idea of us losing because of VAR is nonsense, isn't it? Um, the fir- the first goal. I mean, once you accept that you're going to play under VAR, you have to accept that it's you can things are going to be decided by these millimeters. Which you know, the first disallowed goal was millimeters, but I guess it was offside in this sort of hellish world that we're living in. And the second one, it was obvious to absolutely everyone watching that that ball had gone out before Rafinha had kicked it so I, I was annoyed that they were even going to VAR with it to be honest because it just seems like a complete waste of time um, should be we'd, be we'd be worried about the form of some of our stable players I'm not sure worried is the right word I think it obviously those I, I would say especially Harrison and Ailing wasn't great last night either um, Bamford I think Bamford in general is still playing relatively well he's just not taking some of those chances and we know that he goes through patches like that I just think we now that we've basically stayed up you know touch wood um, it just all feels a bit like does it really matter if we get 15 more points versus six more points I mean everything almost seems like it's looking ahead to the summer now in terms of in terms of making the team better I don't think there's much more that we can do with the resources we've currently got. And that includes things like the pitch as uh, Ellen Road as well. Obviously, yesterday was an away game, but it doesn't feel like there's a great deal Bielsa can do to improve things now that he has implemented some of the changes that he started doing in the new year with Dallas playing in midfield a bit more and stuff. It feels like we're fairly limited now in terms of what we can do. Yeah. Darren, I'll, I'll get to your take on this. What's your take on, on, on this whole question of just us waiting around now to make those improvements? 
I think to a degree because because I think you know with the vast majority of our players we've got a really clear idea of what what they're capable of what their weaknesses are what they're able to do um and and how you know kind of and I know, I know Tom hates this phrase but I'm going to use it anyway that kind of what their ceiling is and I think I think we're kind of reaching we're reaching that point where where the kind of the deficiencies in our squad are kind of being exposed to a degree and and you know throughout the season really the the the, the tale of the season has been that we've beaten largely beaten the teams you would expect us to beat and largely taken poor results from from the games you would expect that to happen and so i i don't i don't really you know when you're playing against a team like west ham who whose entire game plan is about stopping you do what you do well then clearly players who do the things that we do well, i.e. Aileen, Harrison, Rafinha, are gonna look are gonna look poorer than they would in games where it's more more open. It kinda just stands it's entirely logical to me. Now, I think just to the VAR point, the last three big decisions which which have been taken to VAR um f- for us uh, in terms of goals that we've scored, uh, there was the 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 Bamford one at Wolves, and then there were the two yesterday. They were all ruled out by the on-field officials, um, so it wasn't even VAR which made that decision. And, and as far as I'm concerned, I'd, I'd be in a much happier place as I think we all would if we just let the on-field officials do their job and accept that sometimes they'll get things wrong and sometimes they'll get things right. But I know that I'm a kind of old man, old man shouting at cloud territory here because because that you know it's not going to get rode back, but. Um, yeah, I think to blame VAR for those is is kind of a a little bit a little bit of a mistake, really. Yeah, the officials called them all and called them all correctly. So, like in a in a pre-VAR world, nothing would have changed. Is the way that I'm looking at it. Um, the game last night to me felt similar in certain ways to the Manchester derby, uh, insofar as you have you have two teams. Uh, you have a possession-based team, a team who are going to sit back and try and catch on the counter, um, and a set piece kind of comes in early on and and then changes the sort of course of the game. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that with West Ham last time round, we got gazumped by two set pieces. This time round, we got gazumped by two set pieces. So is it is it a case of you know nothing gained, nothing earned, or whatever the the saying is that I've just butchered, but. Um, it feels as though it it feels very much as though people are panicking about these sorts of results when this sort of result is shown to be exactly the same way in both fixtures um and to me that sort of seems to be the long and short of it and i i think you could argue as well that there's a marginal improvement from the last fixture because because i think in the last fixture we actually uh, lost a few chances from open play, and we we didn't lose anything at all really from open play last night. It was all it was all their xG came from set pieces, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of chances from outside the box from players like Ben Rama, um, but yeah, no, nothing in terms of uh, really big chances. Yeah, um, Tom Tom Woodhead, what's your take on the sort of difference between the first fixture and the second fixture? Is there anything that we can pick up from that? I think in general we have become a little bit more solid. We've become a bit more a bit more assured in terms of, I just mean a, a bit less nervy, I suppose. Um, in, certainly in the last six or seven games, I think um, we had a very, even though the results haven't been great in the last, in that sort of series of games, I don't think we've seemed quite as um, frantic as we maybe did for for a period around Christmas time. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's been that different. Um, I think I think we did possibly learn that a lot of our uh, improvement at defending set pieces might have been down to 
the aerial presence of Stroik, who wasn't playing last night. I don't. I mean, was Stroik playing in the first West Ham game? I'm not even sure. No, he wasn't. I don't think. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you if you lose one of your tallest and most physically imposing players from the team, then you're always going to struggle a bit more in set pieces, aren't you? So. Yeah, I'm going to push back on everyone talking about Strauch in terms of his height because yeah, what is he six two six three? Um, yeah, he's fairly tall compared to the rest of our team. But I do think that you know he's a good he's a good. We've got we've got other tall players who aren't very good from set pieces as well. I think that he his qualities there are. Are, are important. He's a good man marker. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's true. But we'll get on to talk about the centre backs in in due course. Um, one other thing I did want to talk about is that I wonder how much of our response to these games comes down to personnel. So, for example, yesterday I felt as though we lost the ball in central areas a huge amount. Um, we turned the ball over a lot anyway, right? I, I think in general. But I think yesterday there was so many turnovers of possession, and sometimes I just kind of think, well. You know, there's when when we're not playing Calvin Phillips, I think there's a nervousness about whatever's happening in the middle, and people focus on that a little bit too much. Uh, and then when he's playing in the middle, people don't focus on it at all, and we sort of sw- switch between sort of worrying about things that we perceive to be issues. Um, the, the same could be said for for Urente, right? There's there's certain things that we worry about with Urente, and probably overfixate on certain defensive issues when he's playing. Um, and I guess with with Strauch as well, you know, and it, it very much becomes sort of for me. I feel as though we talk all the time about our strongest eleven, but we have elements of the same issues regardless of what eleven we're playing this season, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of those issues are to do with the kind of fun, with the kind of fundamental baseline quality in the squad, which I know we tried to improve in the summer and we'll need to improve again. But I think I think we are in a situation where until we we aren't able to um, improve certain positions in the squad that we are going to struggle in those areas. I thought Calvin was fine in terms of the way that he progressed the ball. I think the issues that we had in terms of losing the balls in central area, losing the ball in central areas largely came from in front of him, um, particularly in the first half. But yeah, I agree with you. Well, let's jump into the questions because I think we could do this all night. But Pat Bamford, let's talk about him and get him out of the way. Viducule says, um, Dear Stats, I have long pondered the following due to the enigma that is Pat Bamford under Marcelo's system. Two good chances missed again. Is it fair to require a striker to do so much running and physical hold-up play and then expect him to be razor-sharp when chances do come? Uh, Tom, we haven't heard from you for, uh, for a while. What do you make of this? It's sort of a moot point, I think, because the entire system collapses if you don't have a striker that's willing to put in that work. So I think whether it's fair or not doesn't really come into it. Um I think I think that apart from apart from the chance where he got put in by Lorente, uh, which was more the kind of chance he's been scoring this season, I think that the other one was a cutback, and he never looks very comfortable at trying to finish those cutbacks where the ball's heading towards him, and he's not taking it in his stride, as I'm sure Josh Hobbs would tell you. Uh, so, I think it tends to be more about the kinds of chances that he gets when when where. Um, behind in games he struggles with more than the chances that he gets when we're not behind in games more than anything else I'm sure in another team you know if, if a striker was able to to work in a system where they were able to preserve their energy and those chances came along and then yeah then he might he might take some more but we'll just never know because that's not just not the way he's expected to play is it I think you're right Tom yeah so I, I didn't mean to um, sort of demolish the entire concept of a player being tired and unable to finish but I just think it's never it's never going to change under Bielsa so there's no there's not much point in 
in debating whether we should ask Pat Bamford to run less. Yeah, no, I agree because it was it was a thought that that I had quite a bit during during last nineteen uh, twenty when when he was missing loads of chances and it, it was a similar sort of thought. But you're absolutely right. Bielsa's not going to kind of ease on his expectations of of Bamford in those areas. He's always going to want Bamford running around and pressing or whoever plays up front. So yeah, I th- I th- there might be some truth in it. I think as well, there's also a sense in which it's not it's not like he's... I don't think it's because he's tired, right? I think that a lot of, he's expected to do a huge amount of work. And and I suppose, for me, the issue is maybe one of concentration. Um, and I think that's sort of slightly different. And, and again, you know, you're not expecting every striker to take every chance they get. Um, it would have been nice if he'd picked up one of those uh, chances yesterday, and I suppose he he put up one point one xG according to Statsbomb yesterday. So he should really be should be really um, probably finishing that uh, at this level. And, and on the balance of his performances this season, you would expect him to do that. Um, but I, I think so much of what it is to be a striker is about the confidence to then just come out the next week and just put that behind you and and get on with it and do it you know you you have those games where it feels like nothing's going in and the I think the really great strikers are those ones who have the ability to put that behind them and and not let these things sort of come into their head um there's been a lot of there's been a lot of genuflecting around um xg recently um especially with brighton um, but for me, like a lot of that comes down to momentum, right? As soon as something like that becomes a thing and you have it playing in the back of your mind, suddenly it, it, it becomes a lot harder to take those chances. And um, let's just hope that, I mean, Bamford will score a go- goal soon and then he'll be back to on a little bit of a streak. That's, this is just what he does. He's quite a streaky striker. Most strikers are. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to see him finishing a couple of those. But um, let's move on to talk about playing issues. So Adam Michael Finney asked an interesting question, I think, um, which is a sort of, I suppose a, a variation on a theme, which is, you know, we've talked about the fact that Leeds have um, a lack of uh, individual quality in certain places, um, and they make up for that with a system that works quite well. So he says, what is more significant, the development of Leeds advancing attacks with fluid combinations against a solid Premier League team, or the inv- individual games gains and deficiencies against top Premier League sides? Does the growth in, in team combined play change the parameters for increased individual talent? I think what this is getting at, and I think this is a question that needs to be asked, uh, is is sort of what kind of gain are we going to make from introducing new players next summer? Um, because I do think there is just, I think one, there's an assumption that in the summer we'll just bring in loads of great players and suddenly all of our problems will be solved. Um but two, I think there's also, you know, just the general assumption that better players would make this system better. And whilst I agree with that, obviously, I guess I'm interested in in the extent to which, you know, Bielsa has never really managed, quote unquote, elite teams, at least domestically. Um, and so it, it almost seems like there's a there's there's almost a Goldilocks effect here, which is, you know, you, you don't want with players too good. You can you can lose a little bit. I, I feel like I felt this way a little bit about the Atletico Madrid system at times under uh, Simeone. In that, if you bring in really great players, sometimes or really elite players, sometimes they cannot give themselves to the system as much as as they might um, if they were maybe lesser. I'm thinking as well of the um, the Stuart Dallas interview that was uh, put out this week on Super Six podcast, where he talks very candidly about you know not considering himself to be an, a Premier League level footballer, but suddenly he's there in the Premier League and playing this way. So I think I've maybe taken the question a little bit further than than Adam Finney intended it to be taken. But Darren, what's your what's your take on all of this? 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I also I also don't necessarily think that it needs to be elite talent that that we necessarily sign in the in the, in the summer. Um, you know, if you think about about Luke Aylin, he cost us two hundred thousand pounds from I think or some some ridiculous nominal fee like that. Um, now I'm I'm sure that bargains of that nature are not easy to come by, and I'm sure that we won't pick up a quality a, a fullback of a left back of Aliens quality for two hundred thousand pounds. But but what I think we do need is that there are clear areas where we just haven't got a specialist player for that position. And left back is, is obviously a prime primary one of them. Now I don't think we in any in any way, shape or form lost lost yesterday because we don't have a specialist left back. I I'm not suggesting that at all. But I do I do think we've we've definitely got gaps in, in the midfield and I think we've got gaps at left back. And I think that if we've got players who who kind of have a degree of competence who are still prepared to to kind of you know subjugate themselves to 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 Bielsa's system then then I I think that it stands to reason that there will be improvement in performances if not necessarily in results I, I don't think it necessarily follows that, in, that improve you know I think that Bielsa's uh, thinking is based on the idea that good performances equate to good results but I think the sort of gains that we'll be able to make in the transfer market in the summer might not necessarily lead to that that automatic uh, improvement in results. So, um, I the other way that I read this question was, um, at, you know, when we come up against teams that have got got better individual talent than we've got, how how do we cope with that? And I I don't really think that that applies to last night's game because I don't think the the, the differences in last night's game were anything to do with individual talent turning and turning it on at moments and kind of unpicking us. That there have been games where that has been the case this season, notably like the Chelsea game and and the Man United away game when when their really good players did did manage to to be the difference makers in those games. But yeah, so it's, it is a really interesting question, and and there's no way that you can obviously no way you can predict the future. But but I do, I do think that improving the areas where we've got glaring weaknesses weaknesses should see uh, an improvement, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to spend you know, 35 million or 30 million on this player or that player. It's just that the player's got to have the correct attributes for what we need. Tom Woodhead, do you feel as though we have improved in terms of our attacking combinations? Because I think that's maybe a, an assumption of this question as well, which is, you know, this if we can develop these combinations better, then suddenly we'll ameliorate, as it were, a lot of these problems. Yeah, it, it is an interesting question. I think to develop the attacking combinations further... You basically need. You're basically saying um, after, after considering Bielsa's been here for you know two and a half, going on three years. I think the way you improve those combinations is to get a better manager, and obviously that's not going to happen. So I'm not sure we can improve the system without changing the players or without utilizing um, attributes that better players might have, and and changing the system because of that. I think there are a couple of interesting case studies in terms of what happens when you bring better players into the team. And one would be Rafinha, which I think we would all agree. It's obvious that he has given us a bit more unpredictability in attack uh, and has has made us able to attack in slightly different ways uh, to how we were attacking earlier on in the season. Um, and I think also another one is, although it's at a lower level, is when Ben White came into the team ahead of Pontus Janssen. And that, um, e- even though at the time it seemed like um, we'd be losing a lot uh, by getting rid of Janssen, by bringing in a more rounded and complete player who could offer things that Janssen simply couldn't offer, I think we improve massively. So I think these are the these are the kinds of gains that you would hope to make by bringing in, say, a a a, a good um, average to very good standard Premier League left back. 
uh, it wouldn't change the entire team, but it would make us better, I would hope. I also think that, you know, we can talk about the system all we want, but the system is designed to break down teams who aren't sitting deeper. And I think sometimes, you know, our problems aren't the system. Our problems are simply that quality in the final third, which in many respects just aren't really that um, uh, choreographed. You know, there's so much of, we, we talk about this all the time, but so much of what Bielsa does is allow his players who are slightly, uh, have slightly less quality perhaps than the average in the Premier League. He creates space and time for them so that they can look better than they are. And um, I think what we're seeing now is teams just accepting that that's the case and that you can you can cause a lot of problems for Leeds just by sitting back, absorbing pressure and then just gazumping them in defensive transition. Yeah, and what teams really are unpicking low defences with systems? Yeah. Really, I mean, Man City do it. Guardiola's teams, basically, uh, historically, uh, maybe the Spain team uh, that won all those titles. But but mostly, you are relying eventually on someone having you know a brainwave and and deciding to do something a bit different to unpick those defenses. We had an interesting question from Dan Holdsworth about the. We're moving to the midfield now, I think, but uh, about the the sort of personnel issue that we currently face, which is this: Dallas is our best left back and our best number eight at the moment. Play him at left back, and we're carrying a broken click in midfield. Play him at number eight, and we have to select Alioski at left back, who is a liability when pressed. Which is the lesser of those evils? Uh, Tom Woodhill, go with you first on this. Part of it for me comes down to I don't really know enough about Click's exact injury situation but I if if it's the kind of injury where I'm resting him completely for a couple of weeks would maybe make him a bit right again then I would probably go for you know I'd take the hit and play Alioski at left back for a couple of games to get you know a, a fully firing Click back again if it's the case where you know even if we were to give him a nice break it'll be the same until he has minor surgery in the summer or something <sighs> It's really hard because I, I think I think Click he he it's not like he's consistently doing everything badly when he's playing there. He's he's um he makes mistakes sometimes. I think he has been making a bit of an effort to drop deeper more often recently. Um since Roberts came into the team, I think um it, it seems to be less of a competition so you can get forward as often. Um I yeah, on balance I think I'd like to see us start with Dallas in midfield for the next game and Alioski at left back. But I know you were saying earlier, John, that it depends on the team that we're playing and the game that we're playing. And I, th- I agree with that as well. I think the difference comes depending on how high the opposition are going to press, uh, particularly in the wide areas. So if we, if we know we're up against an opposition where they're going to press us in the wide areas and really try and pen us in and put that left back up, particularly under a lot of pressure, then I think you would need to pick Dallas at left back in those games because I, I think that he's he's got a slightly better chance of being able to get out of those situations, even though there are times when he you know can really crumble under the press. If it's if it's a game where the, where the team is is you know the opposition are largely just going to sit back. And try and soak up pressure and not really put put our fullbacks under any great pressure in in possession. Then you might as well have Alioski because he, he he can you know he'll, he'll he'll put plenty of work in. He'll 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 put some crosses in, some of which might even look close to getting near a Leeds player. Um, and yeah, I think I think prime I think at the moment though I think Dallas is clearly operating as our best midfielder, which is not to say that I think he's the the, the player who plays in midfield with the most ability but I think operationally at the moment he is our best midfielder so I think as often as is possible I would want to see him playing there. I think it does depend as well who's playing ahead of him because uh, ahead of the fullback because I think Alioski 
um, his his deficiencies are compensated for by Harrison more than they are by any of our other options on that left hand side. But Bielsa does seem to like moving Rafinha to whichever wing he fancies targeting in terms of the opposition fullbacks. So it makes it, it it's a it, there are a lot of pieces to be juggled. That was a bit weird last night as well because he played he played Rafinha on the left, but I I didn't really think that I can't remember their right back's name Sufal. I don't really think he's there to be got at, so I thought it was a strange choice to start Rafinha on that side rather than rather than on on, on the right. I think that's more about Costa being yeah. much better on the right than he is on the left, personally, because they did they switch around towards the end of the first half, didn't they? And actually, I think Rafinha was having more joy on the left than he 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 become a lot less involved when he moved to the right. I guess the other thing that I would say as well is that neither of our left back options are particularly good under pressure, especially in build up play. So I think you can solve a lot of those problems by just trying to go over the press and and play it long. But you know, I guess Bielsa is never really going to want to do that. Although we have seen that happen on a few occasions, particularly I think at Elland Road, where they've talked about the pitch being a bit naff as well. But yeah. I, I think it's very much it is very much team dependent for me. Um the the whole Dallas being our best number 8, I think I kind of have an issue with because I don't think that I think part of the issue here is that we're talking about Dallas being the best option because our regular tactic isn't working and so we play Dallas and that changes the way that we play through the midfield. Um Dallas is not pressy at all. Um, he, but he is very solid zonally. So it's almost like we're playing a zone. For me, we're playing a zonal marker in midfield when we play Dallas, which is fine. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. And I don't necessarily think that there needs to be a long-term problem with that. But I don't think that's what Bielsa ideally wants to do. And so to a certain extent, you know, again, it adds to that whole stopgap feel that we have about the, the whole team at the moment, which is... You know, we talk about Dallas being our best eight, but at the same time, we're considering the fact that next season he might be like a backup left back. You know, but it's it's a really weird scenario that we're in, and so it's hard to it's hard for me to really judge on on what we how we should view this team when it feels as though we're just sort of doing this until we have better personnel that we can throw in there, and then suddenly we'll probably be playing a completely different style of play in the central midfield area. Yeah, I agree, which is which is why I said at the moment operation. I don't think I don't think. Like if if Click was playing well or fit or whatever it is that's going on with Click at the moment, um, then obviously I, d- I don't think you would be looking to Dallas to be to be the the person to play there. But I think at the moment for what we need right now, Dallas is is the is the best option because of the reasons you've just suggested. Because he does seem to bring us a, an increased level of solidity, um, which I think is more important to us right now, uh, given some of the some of the pastings we've taken this season, than than kind of you know, playing the the purest version of Bielsa's football. And it has to be said as well that, you know, these are in some senses positive things to be talking about now that we're at the stage where we're sort of picking apart the bones of this Premier League team that is on the whole done quite well and looking for, and, and we're seeing obvious areas of improvement that can be made and the club will have seen those areas as well and Victor Orta will have seen those areas and I'm sure they'll be they'll be talking about players that could potentially fill them and my hope is that we get at least the left back and hopefully someone in midfield in very early on pre preseason next year so that they can be properly integrated in time for the start of the new season but we'll see yeah well i've heard that we've already approached the potential players that we want to uh, sign in the summer so i suspect that they'll be done fairly early the the thing that is given as the as the sort of 
catalyst for everything happening is Bielsa signing his new contract, which is, as we all know, who knows, neither here nor there. Um, it, it took, what, a month into the season, this season, for that to happen. But hopefully this season, obviously, will be a little, lot quicker, given that we should be in the same division. And uh, a lot of, I guess, those contractual negotiations have already, have already happened. Um, and then I guess... I suppose one final thing that I was going to say uh, about all of this is that so much of this comes down to pressing. And we've talked already about how, yes, we can't really talk about Leeds' build-up play because the build-up play that they're doing isn't really necessarily an issue. We're not having to transition through the central um, midfield spaces as much as we might have, have to do against teams that are pushing us a little bit higher. Um but I also think that that imp- impacts Click as well because I think Click is brilliant at pressing. And when you're playing a team like West Ham, who have absolutely no no interest in playing through our press, they're just going to play the ball long, let us have the ball in in high areas, try and advance it, and win it back in the midfield area. This is what a mid block is all about. Um, you know, press aggressively in the mid in the midfield areas um, or the lower midfield areas, and then just try and ex- expand from there. Someone like Click is going to lose a huge um, aspect to his armory and I think we've not we've saw that at the beginning of the season click was great partly because we were given space he was pressing we were able to press high we were able to pick the ball up in in those sorts of areas but now that's not happening as much and so click doesn't seem to have as much of a of an angle I also don't think click was too bad yesterday and Bielsa said as much after the um after the game he said he brought he he basically had the two midfielders sort of switched in the in the eights positions because he wanted to like diversify against the two their two eights or their two their double pivot who are obviously a, a very good uh, pair of midfielders so um yeah maybe we should just talk about click yesterday i mean does anyone have any strong feelings on him being awful like most of the fan base suggested no, i didn't think he was awful at all but i do think that he certainly since we've been in the premier league he's just fundamentally better when he's the more advanced of the two midfielders um he just i'm not even sure what it is about it because i think he has most of the skills to play very well as the other midfielder he just um his natural incl- i've talked about this before but his natural inclination always seems to be a little bit too gung ho for me um when he plays as the the more uh, the midfielder who's sat back a bit more um so I, I would have really liked yesterday. I mean, I know you were saying that we didn't need to build up through midfield yesterday, but I think it would have quite helped at times if we had have had the option of building up through the central midfield yesterday. And occasionally we do see that in games where, you know, you long for that sort of foreshore type who can um, offer a slightly different option than going straight to the wide players. Um, I think it would have really helped. I, I don't think he was terrible yesterday, but equally, as you say, his strength is really, I think, when... When the opposition has the ball at the back, that's when you really see the best of him, and he he can close players down, win the ball back, and 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 he thinks really quickly in those situations about what to do. Whereas I think I think he um, he thinks a bit more um, and for longer when he gets the ball at the back, and I think he's better when he acts a bit more instinctively. A lot of this just comes down to how it's going to be next season, right? If we started off poorly next season, then teams might come out against us a little bit more, and Click might look a little bit better. It's um it's one of those ones where. It's very hard. It's very hard to read, and I I agree with you. I think in terms of actually going forward, he's a pretty decent option. Um, I'm just looking through this, the stats from yesterday, and he put up. I mean, there's not really much to go by, right? Because because we didn't create much from the central spaces anyway. But you know, Mateus Klik put up two shot creating actions. Tyler Roberts put up three. Rodrigo put up two. Um, 
they 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 all put up sort of similar i mean similar-ish xg num uh, expected assist numbers but again it wasn't very much but I, I, whenever you look through the numbers in terms of create, creativity, Mateusz Klik is always much higher than I think people realise. Um, and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that he isn't a particular... I mean, with someone like Tyler Roberts, he's quite a, a dynamic player. He picks the ball up and moves it around by carrying it. Uh, and then Rodrigo is obviously quite a, uh, quite a creative player, obviously, in the same way that Pablo Hernandez is. But um, there there is a sense in which, you know, you want in these issues you want to be sort of a volume player as well you need volume players that's why I talk about Liam Cooper a lot in terms of his carries and his progressive passing because I think you know it's easy to look at someone like Urente who makes that absolutely elite pass once every game but then you look at Liam Cooper and the just the amount of progressive passes that he makes the amount of progressive distance he picks up and the amount of carries that he actually puts up um, mean that he's he is generally you know creating that volume of of moving the ball down the field which is equally as important as having that one um, clinical through ball too so um, I think Clicks maybe a little bit of a victim of that as well he's just sort of more of a volume player than a than a sort of he will do an occasional standout piece of uh, of football. I think I think as well. What once you reframe it in uh, the context of a squad that actually has another midfielder in it, um, then click. There's there's so much less pressure on click to be great every game. Um, I mean, if Shackleton wasn't always injured, you know, maybe click wouldn't have played quite so many minutes, and he he wouldn't be having to play through injuries and things like that. I think you've also got to take into account the fact that West Ham play with two uh, with a double pivot for a reason. You know, to, and and Rice and and Suchek, but. Uh, both really effective defensively, really good at killing the space, and and basically meant that you know as far as I was concerned that that Roberts and Click were non-factors in the game. I thought I thought Click was fine in terms of you know some of the continuity play that he did, um, but but other than that, you know, found it they all found it very difficult to get into the game in those central areas for that reason. The irony of all of this conversation is that Leeds will probably bring in two central midfielders next season, one who will play in that more attacking role and one who will play. The, the eight the, the the sort of Stuart Dallas role and so we won't even get to see click improve necessarily I mean I'm sure he'll be around and and will come in but I think you know the the question is like what impact would having brought in a really good eight this season have made and I know that the the longer time goes by it sort of looks as though we pulled the club the plug on Cuisance because Rafinha became an option right at the end of the window um, and obviously that was a good move for us but I, I I do wonder there is an alternative there is an alternate timeline where we brought in a really good eight and actually click looked fine and you know you you, you kind of you can start sort of reinventing um, the, the the narratives in the, in those sorts of senses. I mean, if we didn't bring in Rodrigo for example and brought in an eight using that money uh, and kept click in that position and brought in Rafinha. I suspect things would have been a lot different this season, but you know this is all hindsight bias and uh, uh, and very much you know in the world of possibility. But um, I think it's important to remember that a lot of these sort of hand ring, hand wringing exercises that we do after games probably will will not function in quite the same way next season, depending on who we bring in. But again, I mean, there's, that's a sign of just the enormity of the task that is is being faced. I think people just seem to assume that we're going to have a good window. I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced that that's going to be the case, but we'll, we live in hope. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's move on just to one final question in the midfield section because Dominic James said we started with Costa and Click for them to be subbed at halftime twice in a row due to being ineffective. Uh, I think there's questions to be raised about that. I don't think Bielsa saw it that way. But now with Rodrigo back, what do you see our upcoming midfield lineup as? Uh, Darren, we'll start with you. I suspect that it'll be Phillips, Dallas, and possibly Rodrigo. Maybe Click in the more advanced role. I, I, th- I still think it's a bit of a toying cost between between those two as to who's going to take on that role. I think we'll I think we'll definitely see Dallas start um, against Chelsea because I think one of the one of the defining things about the the Chelsea the last Chelsea game was how easily they were able to, able to carry the ball into the midfield and and into big spaces. So I, th- I suspect that we'll play that that more zonal eight there. Um, I don't know whether Costa's done enough to to kind of earn his, you know, to keep his place. Um, but I also, I'm not sure whether Harrison has done enough to win it back. So <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a difficult question to answer from from that point of view. But I, I suspect that I suspect we might see Harrison come back in um, because I think that um, if Reese James is playing at right back, I think we'll need somebody who's kind of got good defensive chops to kind of to cover to cover that left hand side. So I, I would I would probably anticipate Harrison and Harrison Dallas. And, and whichever of Click or Rodrigo, um, Bielsa feels like picking on the on the day. Really, I, I don't think there's a great deal between them. Would you change anything, Tom? No, I think I agree with that. Um, I, I I would definitely bring Harrison in against Chelsea just because of how how good Chelsea are going forward. But um, I, and and just a, a quick word on Roberts, who is constantly getting all sorts of stick from the fan base. I actually did think he was relatively poor yesterday, but in the pre in the previous games he's been playing, I think he's shown huge improvement from his performances earlier on in the season and he's he's being quite unfairly treated by some sections of the fan base I think just for missing a couple of chances which can happen to anyone I mean what more do people want (laughs) yeah and again look we're in a we're in a world where there's an alternative timeline where he scored that goal and it was given and it was and you know Costa was half an inch back and that was fine it wasn't bending his knee forward or something but um and I think people's narratives about Roberts would have been very different I think with a couple of goals people don't really have an issue with Roberts and I don't think he's done anything that stopped him from getting them if that makes sense you know he's done everything he has he he can to sort of get in the positions he needs to be in and I think with those goals I think maybe the, the narrative would have changed somewhat but he struggles a bit when when the onus is on him to move the opposition around when the opposition are moved around and the space room to move into is fine yeah which is the story of our team right <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah let's move into the centre-back area so Rajdeen says love the pod lads question Yorente's passing through the lines feels like a good weapon in development you can see why Bielsa wanted him thoughts on that and how you think he's settling in Tom Woodhead I know that you are setting yourself up as a Yorente defender so give us the lowdown on Yorente 
Well, I mean, I'm sure if uh, Darren would describe a, a Llorente defender as a bad defender, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I understand why um, Darren and others uh, are not very keen on Llorente. His marking for the second West Ham goal yesterday was truly shocking and you could see that shock in his face when Sky paused the camera in the analysis <laughs> and he realised that um, Suchet was like two yards behind him when he was supposed to be right next to him but I, I just um, and and I don't I don't claim that I have a particularly logical point of view on, on any of this I just aesthetically and in my heart of hearts love centre-backs who are good on the ball and can blur the lines between being a centre-back and doing the things that midfielders normally do. And Llorente is, um, seems like the best player in our squad at doing that, uh, apart from possibly Luke Ayling can do it in a slightly different way. Um, so I, I just like that. And, and um, I, 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 I'm a bit of an idealist when it comes to centre-backs. I, I tend to forgive um, the occasional latch of, lapse of judgment if it makes us look a bit more slick when we're playing out. And I know that's not particularly logical and it doesn't necessarily help you win games. I just like it. <laughs> Darren? So I'm also a bit of an idealist when it comes to central defenders. <laughs> One go. of the things I like them to be able to do is to be able to defend, <laughs> which I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that... Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to go from, from, from the, the point of the question. So I agree that Urente's passing is really good, and I think that that he's added a bit of a an, an additional um, sort of factor to our attacking play, which which wasn't there previously. And I think he's created a couple of decent chances and and managed to move the ball really intelligently a couple of times. And I, I would have absolutely no question that that is the case. The other thing that I think he's good at is that when when teams are playing vertical balls into his area I think he's really good at getting in front of the attacking player and cutting that pass out and and getting us back on the front foot I've got no problem with that I think I think some of the other defensive stuff that I've seen from him gives me gives me more more concern I think um obviously the 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 marking issue for the goal was a problem I think that when when the when there's kind of close interplay in and around the box uh, area he can he can get a bit sort of hypnotised by the ball and and lose awareness of what's around him and I've seen players running off him loads of times some of the times we've been punished for it and some of the, some of the times we haven't and and the issue of people running at him one to one you know really does does remain a problem for me although it didn't you know didn't necessarily get badly exposed yesterday there were a couple of times when um, when Antonio was breaking away and gave him real problems and and. And and he, he didn't manage to either stop them or pu- or to push him into a a less dangerous area necessarily. So, um, yeah, I I don't want to be be that guy that's kind of slagging a player off, but I, but there are a few things that he does which which just really really concern me from a defensive point of view, um, and I'm not sure that they outbalance the the benefits of his passing. You live by Urente, you die by Urente, um, <laughs> sort of mantra, isn't it? I think, and um, for me, Urente is clearly like an attacking player in a defender's body, and as a result <laughs> of that, they've tried to solve that issue by making him a centre back, and you can see why Bielsa likes him. And I, I think I said yesterday, part of the issue with Urente is that it feels as though he's a player that Biel- well, he is a player that Bielsa has wanted at other teams that he's been at, and it feels. To me, perhaps that in this team it doesn't. We're not quite at the level where our issues are. We need to have a good passing centre back necessarily over against other issues that that will come up. I've already mentioned that quality and quantity are both 
different aspects of passing and need to be taken into account his 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 pass to Bamford yesterday was very very good and that really is something that I don't think anyone else could do I mean yesterday when he threads that ball through that's that's a really good ball and um, I don't think any of our other centre-backs could do that Uh, but yeah equally as you said at the other end I don't think any of our other centre-backs end up three or four yards behind uh, Craig Dawson yeah, I don't think any of our other centre-backs are, are quite that far away from him as well. So, you know, it's it's very much a you live by Llorente, you die by Llorente. Looking at his stats, he created the most expected assists yesterday from that pass. So um, I, I think, you know, from that point of view, it's hard to argue that that, that he isn't important. I think that, that the issue is going to be when we're playing against sides that are going to run at us right we're going to play Chelsea next week and maybe they're not quite so flamboyant as they were under Lampard but you know Timo Werner against Urente is already bringing me out in hives uh, Manchester United are going to have a field day uh, around him there and those are going to be the games that I think it, it really matters and I think once we've got a full menu of, of centre-backs available you can you can afford to chop and change a bit right you can play your more solid centre-backs in those games and and then you can play Urente in those games where you feel as though you want to help help in transitional phases um so yeah i think it's good that we've got another uh, weapon in our armory but i do actually i'm I'm not i'm also sort of idealistic about a lot of things but i think with center backs like i i don't think it's necessary that we have to have like a full ball playing center back or a full defensive center back i i like well-rounded center backs which is why i i'm a real fan of pascal strout because i think he's our he's our best rounded center back and i think if you have one of those centre-backs in then it's fine you can afford to have a sort of active and passive or, or whatever proactive reactive however you want to want to talk about it but I'm, I'm just a little bit nervous um, about the especially the openness that we have sometimes on that right hand side when, when Ailing goes forward and Llorente is happy to sort of go out of out of position push forward to a certain extent he kind of did that for the, the penalty he, he pushed out onto Ben Rama I watched that over and over again just to see what happened he pushes out onto Ben Rama despite the fact he's dropped back onto Antonio and there doesn't seem to be any real reason why Luke Ayling then drops onto Antonio and he pushes onto Ben Rama but basically the West Ham passed through us quite easily I thought to be fair to West Ham I think they passed through our press quite well yesterday even even our pressuring rather than our press but anyway I'm, I've rambled for for quite some time now so let's let's move on to Kevin Lynch's question about Strauch who said does Strauch's aerial presence to go along with his other attributes mean he should be a shoe-in at centre-backs at, at this stage we'll go with you again Tom because uh, I feel like it, it, it is known that Darren and I are fans of, of Strauch so maybe better to go with you for for the balance there I, I am also a fan of Strauch but I broadly agree that he maybe is our most rounded centre back um I guess the thing is um dropping Cooper would feel incredibly harsh at any point this season I think he's been very very good I think he deserves the opportunity to keep playing um you do lose something a little bit I think when you have two left-footed centre backs um even though Strauch has played well there in the past um I, I I I don't really have a problem with 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 him playing instead of Lorente um I don't know. It's very hard. I mean, it's one of those things where I think at this point, um, dropping Lorente when, all right, he's done some bad things, but it's not, it's not, he's not been absolutely awful. I think, I think potentially quite damaging for his confidence after all the, you know, the stopping and starting and coming and the injuries. And whereas I think with Strauch, he he only expects to be playing a certain percentage of minutes anyway, because he's a young player. He's already played more than he ever expected to play. So, I mean, and maybe that's not the right way to look at it if you just want to win games and, and play well. But um, I kind of, 
think will for the rest of the season. I mean, I, we don't know how long Strauss out for, would it do it, but um, I kind of think that we'll always have enough injuries where he'll get decent minutes here anyway. Just a few things to say. Firstly, is I think that Yorente and, and Koch will fight over that right hand spot. I don't think that's the way it will always be under Bielsa. He's always going to play a, a stronger footed player on there on their stronger footed side in the centre-back partnership, unless he has no options like he did when we played Strauch and, and Cooper there. Um, I also think that just because I think Strauch is probably our best rounded centre-back, doesn't mean he necessarily should subvert any of the others. Um, I also don't think that we should drop Urente at the moment, despite the fact that I have worries about him. For me, that's more just a, a kind of, well, we're going to have to play him there. I'm just a bit worried about what's going to happen. Um so yeah, I, I very much see it as the way the way that most people talk about it is you know it's Koch and Urente fighting out over over the right centre back position and then Cooper and Strauk. I say fighting out over the left back position because I don't think it's that. I think it's Cooper's going to play there until he declines and then Strauk will come in and I think that's totally fine. I also think people are way too harsh on Cooper. Um, on <laughs> like Liam Cooper has been genuinely elite this year. I'm I'm going to say it because no one no one no everyone is looking for reasons to do him down all the time but we talk about Urente's passing uh, Diego Urente put up 326 yards of progressive passing Liam Cooper put up 452 yards of progressive distance yesterday and again that's why I talk about quality versus quantity so that's the the caveat there in terms of carries they both had exactly the same uh, yardage of carries as well um Cooper is defensively his numbers are very very strong um even in even in his time under Bielsa, he's improved uh, as a defender, and I think it's it's I th- I don't think people realise like how lucky we are to have like a genuinely elite right, right uh, left centre back and then a genuinely elite youngster coming through in the same position, um, and so that's all I'll say on that matter. Um, but I think in terms of the centre back um, the centre back situation, I think we're we're really lucky in that we've got. A, a decent crop of centre backs um, after having not had that for for many years, um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. And I think I'm, I'm convinced that that's only the case because Koch got injured, so they brought in Yorente as a, a centre back who they expected to play the majority of this season. Um, now I think that there's there's potentially other ways they could have gone about that, but they I don't think they knew that that Strauch was going to come in and be as good as he's been. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we have a problem at centre back. Is the long and short of what I'm saying here. Cooper is going to get a little injury at some point before the end of the season. Like he, he always has th- two or three, four periods every season where he's out for a few games, and that'll be that'll be Strike's chance to you know I've, I've pronounced his name differently every single time I've said it today. <laughs> um, that'll be the 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 Belgian Dutchman Indonesian's chance. <laughs> you can't even say that he hasn't even been willing enough to to guarantee which one of those two countries he wants to play for. So. Uh, that that'll be his chance to. Um, to maybe stay in the team ahead of Cooper if he performs very, very well if and if and when that happens. Yeah, let's talk about set pieces whilst we're on the, the centre-backs. Um, I know we've already touched on it, but Liam Broxton said, we have been a lot better defending set pieces in recent weeks. Was it because of was it a case of West Ham being that good at them with Cresswell's delivery and the height that they have, or did we miss Strauch? Um I mean, I think we're all going to agree that we missed Strauk, um, but I think we should also remember that, you know, in the in the parallel part of this of the first part of the season. So when we played West Ham and Chelsea and we shipped a few um, set-piece goals, everyone panicked about them at that point as well. And then after we played those few teams that are quite good at set-pieces, we very quickly um, moved on and, and sort of got on with it. So I think it's, it is going to, for me, anyway, it's a combination of those two. Has anyone got anything they wanted to add on the set-pieces? 
It's, it's just very easy to forget that West Ham are the best team at set pieces, and 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 just because there are, there, just because we seem quite crap at them, it doesn't mean every other team we play is good at them. Cresswell's delivery is a thing of beauty. It has to be said. He gets a lot, a lot of whip on, on uh, very difficult to defend. Helps if you stay with your man, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Arnie B said Ailing's worst performance. Interrogative. Does he have a problem if an attacker goes inside and is left? Um, and I th- yeah, I think Ailing's not been probably as good recently. But what's what's the general take on Ailing? Uh, we'll go with you, Tom, because you're you're a big stan of Ailing. Yeah, um, I am a big stan of Ailing, and but I do agree that he's not been quite his best the last few games. Um, and I think I think he does have a little bit of a problem um, if an attacker goes inside on his left sometimes. But I I think I think I ju- I tend to judge Ailing mostly on what he offers going forward. And I think his passing was a little bit off the other day. Darren's smiling. <laughs> um, I, I, I just think sometimes you get these games with Ailing where he generally, although his passing is quite limited, he's very good at knowing when to pass and when not to pass and which pass to make. And his crossing isn't that great either, but he knows when to cross and when not to cross. And I think at the moment that that sort of circuitry breaks down a little bit and you start to see the championship player underneath but I still think Ailing is a superb player and um, I'll forgive him several bad games in a row. I, I don't have a particular problem with with uh, with Ailing when it comes to defending uh, against people coming in from the outside. I, I think we've we've seen you know over the last you know 10 years that, that more and more wide players come in and do that and they do that for a reason it's because it's really difficult to defend against and and particularly for the the penalty yesterday we've seen Aileen nick that ball off off the attacker's toe dozens of times over the last few years and and you know some so last night he just he just caught Lingard and you know it's just it's soft and yada 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 but but it, it, you know I, I I don't think there's any particular issue with that and and that you know I think um Arnie uh, or maybe other people have made this comment about about Aileen before and the last time it was after Triore coming from the outside and had a shot which went ended up going in off of Melier's back I, I think is is there have been a couple of goals which have come from that but a lot of goals come in the Premier League from from attacking players coming from the outside to the inside and having a strike at goal it's just one of the it's just it's just uh, something that, you, that you're going to see a lot of I think Ailing genuinely thought he'd won that ball for the penalty as well. You could see it in his face when he was uh, when they were doing the VAR check. He thought it was going to be overturned, um, and I think that just sort of points to it. it wasn't some kind of rush of blood to the head where he'd suddenly completely lost his mind and committed a really stupid tackle in the box. I think he's just slightly mistimed it. It's funny, isn't it, that we talk about Click being exhausted and broken and whatever, but we don't talk about anyone else being exhausted and broken because I do I genuinely think like Ailing. Ailing is nearing 30. He's played a lot of games in a row as well. He's not had that many injuries in, in the same time period that Click's been playing all the time. So I genuinely think he's probably tired as well. Um, so I, I think that should be taken into account as well. But let's let's end on positives. I'm not sure if there's going to be much to, to go by here. But um, El Barker got in contact and said, how nice was it seeing Phillips receive and pass the ball again today? So I wondered if you guys had any other positives that we could take from the game yesterday. I enjoyed Dallas in the second half. I thought I thought he was he was good in good in the second half. No more injuries. Playing is coming back and getting through the game. Uh, not looking, you know, I, Phillips um, didn't look like he was struggling with any of the after effects of the injury or anything. Which I think sometimes we've rushed him back a bit too soon, and he has looked like he's still carrying something. I don't think that was the case yesterday. So I think that's positive. Well, there we go. We've managed to dig out a few positives there. Oh, 
let's call it a day. I think that's the, the end of our review of the West Ham game. We'll be back on Thursday, I think, with the Chelsea preview. That's another game for us to look forward to re- reviewing and previewing but hopefully it won't be as as awful as last time i think when it's chelsea you sort of expect to to lose so hopefully that will give it a slightly different (laughs) valence than than this one this is like the speech from braveheart yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) they can steal our xg but they can never steal our freedom they will steal our freedom that's the problem if you like what we do and you want to hear more of it then (laughs) what's wrong with you but um head over to patreon we have a Patreon channel where we put up lots of bonus content. I'll be trying to put up a video today from the West Ham game to try and dig something out of there. We also have bonus podcast episodes as well. Last week we talked about formations and Marcelo Bielsa. And then the other thing I should mention is the first episode of Auto's List, which is our new video live stream, which will be going up at 8pm on Thursday. I think it will be on YouTube, but it will also be going going up on Periscope as well, I think. So hopefully that will go out through our Twitter feed as well. But keep an eye out on Thursday for that. That's an hour-long show where we'll be looking through positions that we need to improve in over the summer, and we're doing a bit of scouting work. So that's me, Josh Hobbs, and Joe Donahue of Leeds Live. So if that sounds interesting to you, head over there on Thursday at 8pm, and it'll be good to have you with us. But until then, all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Everything's fine, by the way. That's <laughs> what we need to remember, that everything is fine. Yeah, thank you. Yes, th- this is true. And thank you, Tom. I sometimes feel I've got a bit too much freedom anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 